Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. G, 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 take me away. All right, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. And I'm happy to bring you Mr. James Altucher. Now, James is an uh, entrepreneur and an author of 17 books and counting. And he's also a podcaster. I recommend his podcast, The James Altucher Show. I'm a fan. James has founded many companies. He's made millions and he's lost millions. And I think it's all given him a rather interesting perspective. I was psyched to talk to him. All right, let's get to it, shall we? This episode is brought to you by my app company, Future Moments. We make a few apps, Mic Swap, Audio Master for podcasts and music, and Audio Fix for videos. Check them out on the iTunes App Store. Enjoy! good time yeah yeah it's a good time awesome man thanks for talking to me oh no problem are you you're based in brooklyn i am we're okay, close you're right you're right down the street oh where are you well i'm in uh right near soho oh okay yeah we could have been doing this in person but uh we never met so this is a start yeah well i am a big fan of your yeah. podcast thank you very much i feel like it's a bit similar to this how do you describe yours I am always talking to people that I'm interested in and I think can help me figure out the question of how to be a better peak performer when, of course, lots of things go wrong along the way. That's right. So it's pretty eclectic. You have eclectic guests. I like that. Yeah, I think I'm like categorized on business when in, in reality, I'm really just interested in whoever I'm interested in, like lots of peak performers ranging from, you know, artists to astronauts to writers to businessmen to whatever. Like a lot of these podcasts just focus on like how someone makes, you know, three, an extra $3,000 a month. I'm, I'm not really interested in that at all. Yeah, I don't get that at all from your podcast. I get a lot of uh, philo- philosophical things, kind of spiritual things, curious things. It's, it's really uh, helpful. Yeah. And I've been having a lot of synchronicities because, you know, since I've been doing this podcast, I'm realizing how curiosity breeds more ideas. And then I heard Brian Grazer on your podcast and on Marin, and he talks about his curiosity conversations. And it was kind of something that I'd already been going through and thinking about. And then it happened again when I heard your episode on minimalism. Oh, yeah, that was kind of like, um, that was one where I was the guest. Like I brought someone on, the producer of my podcast brought her on to kind of interview me about this concept just because I was getting so many questions about it. Yeah, and I have been doing this the past couple months where uh, I basically rent out my whole apartment and then go Airbnb in different parts of the city and Brooklyn. And it's it's amazing what it does to my brain. Like I get anxiety before they come to stay in my apartment. And once I hand over the keys and I have my bag, everything I need is in my bag. Once I hand over the keys and shut the door, I just feel so liberated yeah 
and you were talking about that. What did you find with it? Did it help you? Did it make you realize things? Um, you know, it's funny. I guess what I realized was beforehand, which is that I was doing a lot of traveling and I wasn't missing anything. So why keep anything that I wasn't missing to begin with? Like, why not just make my life simpler and, you know, without all the extra baggage? Yeah, there's, there's something that happens when you travel. It's like you, you have this lightness about you. Then kind of magic starts to happen around you. Like, you know, you might go into a coffee shop and they'll just give you the coffee for free because they sense something about you. Yeah. And that never happens when I stay home because, I don't know, the weight of the dirty dishes and bills are on me subconsciously probably. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one way to not have any dirty dishes is to throw out all the dishes. <laughs> exactly. So you were doing it for, how long did you do it for? To do what? Um, just live out of your bag and Airbnb well, place to I'm, place. I'm still doing it. You are? Yeah, I'm, I'm always going to do it. <laughs> so how, this is so cool. So how long has it been? I guess, I mean, in this form, meaning ever since I threw, really threw out everything, it's been just since April, but probably since October, I've been living in nothing but Airbnbs. And before that, it was maybe like 80% of the time I was living in Airbnbs. Okay. You took it a step further because I, you know, I can still go back to my place where all my stuff is, but you got rid of? Your- I got rid of my place and I got rid of all my stuff. No safety net at all, except for whatever you have in savings. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess like cash is a safety net, but no safety net in terms of like I have no apartment to go back to. And is there anything you're missing about having an apartment? Cooking? No, I mean, I stay in Airbnbs where I I could cook, and I can and I can stay in an Airbnb as long as I want. Like most of the time, they won't kick you out if you want to stay. So I've stayed in a couple of places that were longer term than three days. Um, and there's always a kitchen, like there's no kitchen in hotel rooms, but there's always a kitchen in like an Airbnb. Right. And you actually use it and you don't mind having roommates. Well, uh, that's two questions. So I actually didn't even cook when I had my own apartment. So that's that I haven't cooked a meal for myself probably in about 20 years, but, um, uh, in, in my last place, I had a roommate where he had two places yeah, and he was like, stay in this one place as much as you want. And sometimes he would stay there. And that was, I don't know if that was weird or not. Like we're, we're friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I kind of went decided, okay, I'll just do another Airbnb just cause I figured sometimes I need to be on my own for various reasons. Right. It's interesting that you would uh, choose to do this because I mean, it's, pretty widely known with your Wikipedia that you've done pretty well in business. Yeah. But you know, the one thing is, is like, just cause you have some money doesn't mean you have to buy a Ferrari or a yacht or three houses. Like I like to just relax and not be stressed. Right. And how long did it take you to uh, realize this? How many of your adult years? 20, 25. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, you know, what is rich? What does it mean to feel rich to you? You know, it's funny. Like, um, sometimes there's there's two ways of, let's say there's two ways of generating money. There's one way, which is the typical way, which is you get uh, a check every month. And that check could either be income from a job or kind of income streams from various things you're doing. Another way could be, you invest in an asset and that asset goes up in value and you sell it and you make a big chunk of money and you just put that money in the bank or you live off of that chunk of money. So I tend to make money in both ways and um, I don't know which is better. I think it's nice to have money kind of steadily coming in every month, Yeah. but it's also money to have, it's also nice to have money you could just put in a bank account and never think about it again. Well, it's interesting that you, I'm asked what rich meant to you, and you immediately thought of money, so it tells me something, but um, I did mean more in the uh, philosophical sense, to be rich, because you could be yeah. rich in character. or. But, but you know, it's funny. I don't necessarily separate out the two. Like, I remember one time I was going to do um, 
a retreat of at Kripalo. You know, Kripalo is like kind of a meditation retreat place. So I was going to do this retreat on meditation, but they wanted to give me to give it a title. And I would think I think I was titling it the spirituality of money or how you can be spiritual and make money. I don't know some something with the word money in it. And they were like, no, no, you can't have the word money in a title here, almost as if it was like an evil word. And, you know, money is just sort of a byproduct of, you know, living well in other areas of your life. Not to say that you won't have money if you don't live well in other areas of your life. It might not be the right byproduct for you, but it is like one possible byproduct of, you know, doing other things like working hard and being honest and building a network and creating value. You, you might make, you know, byproduct of that is you might make some money. Now, you might not make a billion dollars. A billion dollars is sort of like a fiction. Like who, who is worth a billion dollars? I don't know. You might not even make $10 million, but you'll make some money. You'll make enough money to, to live decently and live how you want. What, what do people really need in life? Like, like what do you need to, to live a life where you're, let's say, modestly happy, where, where you have contentment? Right, exactly, and everyone's going to have their own answer for that. Yeah, like what's your answer? Uh, definitely freedom, being able to do what I want, but then I also feel being able to order from the menu without looking at the right side of the, without looking at the right column. I, I think I think that's a good one. The other one is not really an answer that you said because uh, some people want something, some people want others. Like you said, it's subjective. Right. But not not worrying about what's on the the, the prices on the menu. But my guess is pr pretty early in most people's careers, whether they have a job or they're entrepreneurs or whatever, they stop worrying about the actual price of things on the menu. Yeah, I, but I also think with that comes some sort of sadness. If you have all the money in the world and you could have anything you want, uh, things lose a little mojo. Well, think about it. Think about the guys who are the richest guys in the world, the, the billionaires. They're, they're the multi-billionaires. They're obsessed with two things, I think. They're obsessed with, um, you know, how to make sure we don't have a government that's going to take their money because, you know, so they get into, uh, you know, various conspiracy theories about different political parties where they think will take all their money. And they get obsessed with um, aging because life's so good for them, they don't want to die. So they invest in all these anti-aging companies. Mm -hmm. So... Oh, sorry. Someone all of a sudden for the first time in months is doing construction right here. That's funny. Someone's working on the roof at my place, too, for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So, if, if you're not worried about, like, you know, so, so pe even people with a billion dollars are worried about these things. Like, they don't want to they don't, they don't die because they've got a billion dollars. It's pretty cool. And they don't want to um, have someone take all their money unfairly. So they're obsessed with those things. In a sense, those are like chains on them. Right. I guess for you, you've realized that a lot of material possessions aren't going to make you happy. They're going to just weigh you down. Zero material possessions will make me happy. I can't think of... I mean, I, wanna, I like to live in a nice place. That's about it. Right. I can't think of anything else. Like what other material possession will make you happy, for instance? Well, I realize I can't live without my laptop and my phone. But that's okay. More... Uh, yeah, but that you already, I already have that. Like, I have a laptop and a phone. And by the way, those aren't that expensive, really. You can usually get those on a payment plan. No, no one, I haven't really, you know, you go to a Starbucks, I see, you know, homeless people tapping away on their laptops. So, yeah. no, one, no one is really holding back at this point in, in the, our economy. No one is really preventing you from getting a laptop and a phone. Things that used to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, like a computer the power of your laptop would have been like a million dollars 30 years ago. No one is preventing anyone from getting that right now. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you might be onto some cutting-edge cultural shift that's happening. I mean, now, I mean, if you would have asked me this 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, I need my music collection. I need my instruments. I need, but now Spotify, it's all there. Everything's in the cloud. People don't need things. People are using Uber. Maybe they don't need a car. They'll just Uber so the whole kind of culture is changing. Yeah, like I don't even have a, a driver's license. So uh, I don't have medical insurance. I don't have driver's license. Uh, wait, wait, med no medical insurance. That you should have. Why? Uh, insurance in general 
right, they, is kind of a scam because they know that the healthy people will never use it, so they'll pay more than they get, and that will kind of subsidize the people who are unfortunately, for whatever reason, less healthy. So the way an insurance company runs is those two groups of people will kind of equal each other out, and then they invest all the money, and they, they make money on the interest of what they invest. So that, that's how an insurance company works. So I know it probably is the case that I'm going to be, because I take care of myself, I'm going to be above average on the healthy side. So I'm not going to, why should I pay for medical insurance? So you'll just pay out of pocket if you have to end up in a hospital or needing a surgery or anything? Yeah, I'm not going to, unless I'm hit by a car, I'm not going to end up in the hospital. <laughs> have you become a Christian scientist? Well, I've never, I, I've, <laughs> Since I've been 18, I haven't even. I don't think I've ever been in the hospital other than to like visit someone else. I've, I, have, I haven't been to. A, I haven't been to a doctor since I was 18. Don't tell any woman that. Why is that? <laughs> you have to get checked up. My, my girlfriend's listening to this podcast, so tell me why I shouldn't tell any woman that. Well, is, is she concerned about STDs? Uh, are you concerned about STDs? <laughs> I was married for many years, so it's not like I have uh, been like all over the place. <laughs> She's, she's just smiling. She's a little shy. <laughs> well, I'm glad she's not concerned about it. That's, that's really surprising because, uh, you know, well, also it's a law now with medical insurance, but my father's a Christian scientist, so I totally understand how I, it's a scam. I, uh, my grand uncles and aunts were Christian scientists and died of diabetes that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't ignore science like, or else we'd all be dead of polio. Right. So, so what I do is, so fine, I've gotten all the vaccines when I was one, right? And I eat well, and I sleep well, and I try to exercise. And then what else is going to happen to me? I get a cold, and I sit it out. And what else? Am I going to get the Zika virus? <laughs> what, what else? <laughs> well, if I have cancer, most chemotherapy doesn't work. So whatever, then I'll, then I'll go to a, a, a clinic and get morphine or whatever. That'll be kind of fun. And I can't imagine what else. Otherwise, I'll get hit by a car. But I live in a commuter town like New York City. I look both ways. I'm probably not going to get hit by a car anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what else is going to happen to me. Well, do you believe in mind over matter? Um, I believe that if I'm depressed, for instance, I'm more likely to miss kind of the bad things that are happening to me. But I'm not really depressed at, at, right now. So, so I, I believe it to the extent that I do think your state of mind will reflect will be reflected in your health. Like if I'm extra stressed, I think that will be reflected in my health. Right. In which case, I will pay for medication or whatever. But that's not going to be that's not going to be more than um, what I'm saving on no insurance. So interesting because you can afford health insurance. I imagine you're just choosing not to do it. You know what? I can't afford health insurance, and I'll tell you why. About a year ago, I decided, okay, I'm going to look into health insurance for myself. It's too complicated for me. It's not a skill set I have to figure out 30 different insurance companies, and half of them are going out of business, and the other half might go out of business next year, and, and Obamacare I can't figure out. So it's too complicated for me to figure out. So, so in that sense, I can't afford it. This might be the one place where I feel smarter than you. You're probably smarter than me in many cases. I, 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 I'm not disputing that. <laughs> Well, I, it's probably working for you, and uh, you know, health is important. I always feel like uh, health is the biggest stress, and financial stress is probably the second. I I, I think financial stress. Yeah, I, I agree with those. And probably relationship stress is a big stress. Yes, but you're having none of that, right? <laughs> no, not not that I know of. I know she's there. She's listening. No, no relationship stress, no, no health stress. People always kind of have financial stress no matter what, but that's like a stress, you know, that's like the stress of hunter gatherers. Like, where's my next meal coming from? It's like this primal stress. Right. Now this is public knowledge cause it's on Wikipedia, but you made a lot of money in your twenties selling your, one of your first businesses. Right. But I also lost it all. Right. And you lost it all. So you've experienced both ends. Yes. Which do you prefer? Um, I, I definitely prefer having money than losing money. Losing money is really awful. Right. Or not having any. 
And also, you know, failing is really awful. Like I know failure is part of the process. Like I had to kind of lose that money, let's say, but it's really unpleasant. Uh, I don't like to fail either. Yeah. Don't, do you think that I feel like some people's quest for money isn't really about the money as far as the, uh, ego gratification or feeling like, like you said, hunting, hunting and gathering. Um, what, what do you mean? Well, cause once you have enough money to live on and you don't really, you have all you need, why keep working to earn more? Right. So, so for instance, um, I'll tell you, Tony Robbins told me this story. So Tony Robbins was at a conference and he said, what are your goals to everybody in the audience? And one kid raised his hand and said, I want to make a billion dollars, you know, thinking that having a high goal would be good. But Tony Robbins is like, why do you want a, a billion dollars? And the first thing the kid guy said, like, I guess he was a kid or you know a young man, said, um, well, I want to have my own private airplane. And Tony Robbins is like, okay, fine. Well, a, private, a good private jet will cost you $100 million, and then it might cost you, you know, $50 million a year to maintain. But let's forget about that for a second. You, don't, you can lease a private jet for you know, $150,000 to take you across country. And how many times are you really going to fly per year? You know, 10? So I just saved you. So Tony Robbins saved the guy, saved the guy. I just saved you a hundred million dollars. So now instead of needing a billion, you only need 900 million. And they went down the full list of what this guy wanted. And it turns out maybe he needed to have the exact same lifestyle he thought he needed. He needed 8 million. Now, is, now given 8 million is a lot of money, that's not trivial, but it's not a billion, right? So nobody ever really needs as much as they think. And what if this guy didn't want to fly private 10 times a year? What if he just wanted to stay at his home, which is what most people want to do or what I wanted to do? Then you don't even need $8 million. You could start reducing from there. You know, I don't need, like, a nice pair of clothes or a watch or a nice car or anything like that. What if your ego needed to say that I own a private jet rather than I rent a private jet? Well, then you should probably go to a therapist. <laughs> so, like, think, think about it this way. Think about this equation. Happiness equals reality over expectations. So let's say reality is you're 200 pounds um, and your expectation is, well, I should weigh 130 pounds instead. Uh, uh, you know, you can't change your reality every day. It's, it's hard to change your reality. Maybe it will take you a year or years to change your reality. But let's say your expectations, you could change that in a second. You know, let's say you'd say, okay, well, it's fine if I'm 200 pounds. Now you just made yourself in a second a lot happier. So if I can change, if I can work on my expectations, which is a lot easier, I can work on my expectations much faster than I can work on my the size of my bank account. Suddenly I'm going to be a lot happier. So what do you do? You lower your expectations. Yeah, lower your expectations. Do you think gratitude plays into the happiness equation? Yeah, if you're grateful, your expectations are going to be less. Let's say, let's say you're you're. Your wife cheats on you with another guy, and you're upset. Uh, you, you expected your wife to stay with you forever. What if you're actually grateful that you found out your wife was the type of person who was going to cheat on you, and now you're divorced, and you're, you're on your own, and you can meet other people, and other people who maybe won't cheat on you? What if you change that expectation of control over this person, to being grateful about it, you just lowered your expectations. Gratitude is all about lowering your expectations. So should I expect my next girlfriend to cheat on me? No, <laughs> but you should expect to be in love and to have someone who, who loves you, but uh, you should be okay with the fact that they're going to do whatever they're going to do anyway, regardless of what you expect. So you, you, should you really should expect nothing and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> right expecting nothing is uh is good always although if you expect zero right then then it's it that's then you end up homeless and mentally ill so you can't you can't but the equation counts for that you can't divide by zero there's so many different uh philosophies that sometimes you know butt against each other like okay keep the expectations low but then also foresee your success I don't, I don't, what does success mean? Like, does that mean getting promoted to CEO of a company? Does that mean having a billion in the bank account? Does that mean having uh, one wife forever? Does that mean having 20 kids? 
I don't know what success means. I don't, I don't know what the word success means. I don't think there's a meaning of it. Okay, so when I, what I just thought of was uh, I do, do stand-up comedy. Okay. So when I think about, uh, sometimes I'll play it out in my head before I get on stage. You know, at first I tell myself, I'm not there for me, I'm there for the audience. And then I kind of will imagine the audience being engaged and laughing. And I'm, what I'm hearing is I'm building up an expectation, but I'm also trying to see it happening so it feels natural. So these two things are kind of contradicting each other. Yeah, but okay, but you could, I mean, obviously you study stand-up comedy and you could look at uh, the classic case of Chris Rock. Uh, you know, let's say he, he, he just did his latest HBO hour. Now he's working on the beginning of his next HBO hour, which is going to come out a year from now. He'll go to the Laugh Factory in New Brunswick, and he'll have um, he'll just have a crumpled up bunch of notes with him, and he'll literally read off these notes. And if the audience laughs, he'll make some notes. If the audience doesn't laugh, he'll make some notes, and he'll even say out loud, "Oh, I guess I got to work on that one a little bit more." And um, so, so he's he's coming there with the expectation that he's going to do his best possible job, but also that some of the things might not work, and that he has to do a lot of practice and work to to get things to work. And he know because he's done this for so many years, he knows the kind of work he needs to do. He doesn't go in there expecting every single time he's going to completely kill it. Right. It's a realistic expectation, expectation based on work. Now that's Chris Rock. Of course, he's got an extra amount of, let's call it capital in the bank that he can afford to bomb in front of an audience. Cause the audience is simply going to take pleasure in seeing Chris Rock, but you build up that capital by being really good at what you do, and that's how, in part, he developed his abilities. Right. How would you say you got so wise? I mean, obviously, you've done a lot of work on yourself. I don't, I don't really think I'm that wise, I'm afraid. Right. Well, this brings me to another thing that I want to talk to you about is you pr- confidence. There's a lot of very confident people, especially in New York. I feel like Donald Trump is a great example of what New York can breed. Yeah. That could be, you know, well, there's a saying, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Um, but about New York, but the problem is, you know, very few people actually make it here. You know, Donald Trump could be a very insecure guy for all we know, because his his father made the bulk of the money and, you know, and he inherited it. Often he had to go to his siblings and his father to borrow money when he was having financial troubles, particularly in the nineties, you know, for all we know, the type of person who wants to run for president like like he does could be very insecure. We have no real idea of the inner state of, of Donald Trump. Right. Well, they say that about a lot of uh, performers or anyone seeking public acclaim. It's that they're just substituting the audience for their parents. Right. I think that's true for both writing and for stand-up comedy. Like, I would be, if I, you know, if I was a stand-up comedian and didn't get laughs, I would be very upset about it. I would be like, man, that really sucked and it would ruin my night and it would probably ruin my week until the next time I was, um, I was up on stage. Yeah. But then you grow, you also train your brain to say, Oh, failure. Oh, well that's growth. Yeah. You, 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 you have to as a survival technique and also to get better. You know that over time, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people on my podcast. I've interviewed many comedians. I've interviewed many artists, many musicians, many writers, and, you know, like take Jim Norton as an example. I, I grew up with him. Like we, we, we've known each other since we were six years old. I heard that and, episode. Yeah. And, and uh, that guy was super funny the second I met him. But he wasn't, of course, a well-known stand-up comedian until, let's say, a decade or more, 15 years of him doing it professionally. And I would say just in the past three years, even since the podcast with him, he's really made it. You know, maybe when he when his books came out, you know, his books were bestsellers. Maybe when his books came out, he really kind of came into his own and and was above and beyond, you know, uh, known as a great comedian. But I think it took like a a good fifteen twenty years for him to of him doing it professionally before he quote unquote made it. Yeah, but you uh, were pretty successful right away with your first business. Yeah, I mean, I, I was successful with that business, but think about the time. I was making websites in a period where not a single company had a website, and the internet the internet was like the biggest phenomenon since, you know, the Gutenberg press. So mm-hmm. I was lucky. I, I, I got a little bit uh, lucky. 
Did you realize it at the time? I did not realize that at the time, but after I lost the money, I was like, oh my God, I just had a lottery ticket. I don't know anything about business. I'm never going to make this kind of money again. And do you think you lost it all because you were maybe too young to appreciate it? Definitely. Uh-huh. And, and I think also the first time you make money, no matter how old you are, I think it's hard to appreciate it. Yeah, I read the blog post you wrote about letting the money marinate for two years before you go crazy with it. Yeah, yeah, and I and that I wish I had done that. And I was just really stupid. Yeah. I mean, now now I don't regret it because everything worked out fine. I have less money than I had then, but uh, I'm I'm fine. I I kind of deal with it better. Did you change your priorities at some point? Um. Yeah, I don't need to own a huge house, for instance. Hmm. Do you own anything right now? As far as no, I don't. No I don't property. Own no, no property. What do you I, don't, I don't own anything. I mean, I own the clothes I'm wearing. I own this laptop I'm talking to you on. Uh, I own, um, I don't know, Pamela, what else do I own? <laughs> I, have that, I have that drawer over there. Got some yeah. shit in there. Oh, I own, <laughs> I own a bag to put everything in just in case I have to run out of here real quickly and escape the law. <laughs> right. Oh, I bought a camera recently. I did buy a camera. So, <laughs> but this lifestyle suits you. Yeah. In, in fact, for a month, I thought I lost the camera and I didn't care. I was just using my iPad again. <laughs> and, but she, she cared more than I cared. And, but then I found it. And she, she, she's okay with this lifestyle. Does she go with you to different uh, Airbnbs? Uh, yeah. We've, got, we've been to how many? We've, since I met you... We've been to two or three. Yeah, two. Yeah, two. How long have you two been together? Long way. It's like two and a half months. Oh, that's yeah, not, great. not that long. She's new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> was she a, a fan? No, I was yeah. a fan of hers. I was a fan. She, she was a fan, but then she, she got me into do, taking photographs, which is why I bought a camera. She's a photographer? Yeah. How'd you guys meet? We met because um, I kept being very flirtatious and saying, oh, we should take photographs out and about together. And finally, I talked her into it. But how did you meet her initially? Oh, she liked, I think, I think you like the post on minimalism. And, and anybody, anytime someone likes one of my posts, if they were pretty, I would like Facebook friend them. <laughs> and Twitter. And Twitter follow them. So she was like, who's this guy? It was like kind of all of a sudden I like blitz followed her everywhere. What, was she a little uh, nervous about that? Was it Were too much? No, because I wasn't like, I wasn't like overly flirtatious. I actually thought she was like too young for me. Um, but then I realized she was older than she looked. So, so then was nervous, not- yeah, I was, I was more nervous. <laughs> but so she was a fan. How did she feel uh, being a fan of yours? And then all of a sudden you're courting her. I was very low key about it. I was right. I was not like overly flirtatious or anything. No. And I was I was low key. I wasn't like all over the place. That's good. It's such a subtle thing that courting process. Yeah, yeah, I was subtle. <laughs> you guys seem happy. Yeah, I think so. You happy? <laughs> <laughs> well, happy is a weird word because you know, that means am I dependent on someone or something else to be happy? I prefer always just right now and in, in, in being content with everything in my life. Content with yourself. Yes. Yeah. And also new, new love. You guys are still in that new space. It's kind of like a drug. Oh my gosh. I feel like I already know her forever though. The way she complains about me constantly. <laughs> Cause you've heard it before. <laughs> I am not a complainer. She's not a complainer. Well, well, as you get older, you do have a lot more experience under your belt. So maybe relationships become a little smoother and it's easier to make them progress faster. Totally not true, unfortunately. Uh This one is doing well, but I've had plenty of mess ups in relationships. This is why I think you're probably smarter than me. If you think that, then you're definitely smarter than me. Oh, I know very little about relationships. I've had one very long one and the rest has been me fumbling through. Are you married? No, but I was with someone for more than uh, more than a decade. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that's like me too. So, 
and and her and Pamela here. So we're, we're all useless. <laughs> right, because you don't have much to compare it to. Right. And you think that that might have been the norm, but you realize that there is no norm. Yeah, just as well, not, ha not having too much to compare it to. That's stressful also. Right. Is it fair to the partner to compare them? Yeah. Well, talking about confidence, I mean, a lot of people you interview on your podcast are so uber confident. And you're, you're a refreshing voice because you have a lot of success, but you're also self-deprecating. And also you're, you're like, there's something with confidence where I have a bad connotation in my brain about it because I feel like connotation also connotes being closed-minded. And I feel like you're not like that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, uh, funny you bring that up because I was working on a post uh, called The Power of Insecurity. Like, I think there's too much confidence porn out there where everybody's like, oh, you have to be confident. You got to be in your power pose all the time, like, and walk around with, like, your hand, you know, like you're a, 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 a blowfish. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what the benefits of confidence in general are. Like, I guess... So people are cowed by you into listening to what you have to sell to them. But I think just better to be kind of honest about what you have and, and work with people. I don't know. I, 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 I don't mind being insecure because then I could ask people. I, I, I learn from people then. Right. See, someone recently told me that I seem more confident these days and it rubbed me the wrong way. And I got back to her and I said, I don't know if it's that I'm more confident these days or I just feel more comfortable in my skin and my place in this temporal existence was my answer. Yeah, maybe I'm just uh, more confident with who I am as opposed to being somebody I'm not. Like you're more comfortable with who you are. Yeah. Yeah, confidence has that bad connotation to it because... But how do you stay open-minded even though you have all this experience and wisdom? I think, the, you know, it's that cliche, the more you know, the more you realize you need to know. Like, like take, take um, I don't know, like interviewing, like on a podcast. The more interviews I do, I get really nervous before I do a podcast, whether I'm going to be a guest on one or whether I'm interviewing somebody. And even though I've done hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, I'm more nervous now than I was in the beginning. Because I feel to really understand someone, I've got to really think about it and think of the questions. And, um, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, if I'm doing many podcasts in a week, I'll have to read a lot of books in a week. And, uh, you know, I think I realized to get to be better than the 250,000 other podcasts out there so that people would want to listen to me. I have to work really, really hard. I can never, confidence will never overcome that feeling of, oh my God, I haven't worked hard enough to really compete against the other 250,000. Right. I think it's the curiosity that makes it interesting. Yeah. You have to be like, for let's say I'm interviewing Coolio. Okay. The rapper. Yeah. Coolio and I, if we tried to like staple our lives together, like let's say we're the same age. If we tried to staple our lives together, there is not a single moment in time where his life was similar to mine in any way. Like there is nothing we can relate on at all. So how do I interview someone like that? I have to really not only be curious about his life, I also don't really know all the things I should be curious about. And what if he just doesn't like me because he doesn't like someone you know, who's so different from him? Uh, and I get, I get nervous. So, so you realize, what am, I, what am I gonna be confident about? I really, I really love Coolio, but I can't, there's no way I can ever be confident sitting down for the first time interviewing someone like that. Right, you have to be more curious about finding out things than confident yeah. in your ability. Curious and pray that he doesn't really mind the way I'm being curious or being okay with having like a crappy podcast, that, that podcast. Have you interviewed Cool Coolio? Yeah, yeah, that was a great interview. <laughs> <laughs> Is that on the James Altucher show podcast? Yeah, yeah. But I'll also say I interviewed Biz Marquis. Yeah. And that was horrible. That interview was so bad. Here's how I released it. You'll appreciate this. I had the um, producer play it, and I had another guy with me, and we would go back and forth, rewinding over each point, and we would talk about what, where I was bad during the interview. 
So it was like a meta podcast. That's how bad the initial podcast was. It was the podcast with the uh, commentary. Yeah, it was like a podcast about the podcast. Now, do you think it was your fault that it went poorly? Definitely. It well, was- also his, also his fault. Like he didn't really care about me, and he didn't care about. He was like driving. He didn't care about doing a good podcast. But I also made the mistake of how do you feel about just a friend being your only hit? Oh, right. I didn't say it exactly like that, but I think he took it that way. How I forget exactly how I said it, but he took it that way, and that was that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be. Uh, I got a question for you because uh, the only really critical thing I have. It's a little debate. You talk about how you don't think college is a good idea for people. Yes, and uh, I agree with you in the sense that it's very expensive, and you know, you if you have well, I think what you get from college that I've never heard mentioned to you is that you get a discipline. It teaches you to show up. It teaches you to do your work, and be responsible. That if you don't go to college, it's harder for people to get that instilled in them. Um, did you did you show up? <laughs> As much enough to pass. I mean, what I learned from college was more of a social thing. That's what everyone says. So you just, so you just uh, disputed what you said. That's not what. That's not what you got out of college. You didn't get the discipline of showing up. I guess I got the balance. Uh, I got the balance of wanting to experience my social life and my personal growth, but also showing up to class and handing in the papers. But as far as knowledge. I don't remember really anything I learned. I don't think that was the benefit. Right, which, by the way, it's not a bad thing that you didn't remember. People don't really have memories that are, suppo- like, like before 200 years, you know, humans have been around for, let's say, uh, in some form or other, for like a couple million years. And it's only in the past couple hundred years you had to remember, you know, the, the 100,000 facts you learn in a four-year period from the ages of 18 to 22, so it's not like we're genetically set up to, to remember all those things you learn in college. Right, unless it entered your long term somehow, or if yeah, you're still using it. that's not going to happen. That's hundreds of thousands of facts. Let me ask you a question. Okay. What, don't Google anything, okay? Promise? Promise. Don't, when was Charlemagne born? No idea. Don't care. Get, right, you don't care. But you've learned it. You learned it in high school. Every single year, probably from fifth grade through 12th grade, and maybe even learned it in college. So, like, what we don't remember. Nobody remembers within 500 years. I used to be really poorly behaved in, uh, in middle school. I think it was algebra class. My algebra teacher changed my life. And we were learning maybe the quadratic formula. And I went to her after class, and I said, why are we learning this? I'm never going to have to use the quadratic formula in my life, ever. And she said to me, you're right, Gary. We, you probably won't. But what it is doing is it teaching, it's teaching your brain to work a certain way that you don't get anywhere else. It's teaching you logic. It's teaching you math. And your brain is a part of your brain is firing that wouldn't be firing if you weren't learning it. Okay, I can guarantee you I could find out much better ways for, for you to learn those things without having to learn the quadratic formula. I'm sure you're smarter than my uh, sixth grade teacher. Just, but- just learning how to play poker really well, and you're going to learn statistics and probability. You're going to learn psychology. You're going to learn how- networking. You're going to learn how to be social. You're going to learn salesmanship. Uh, you're definitely going to learn logic. Uh, you're going to learn money management. So all if, if all that time you spend solving quadratic formula equations, you spent learning poker instead, you would you would be much better off. Do you think I'd be good at poker or would I be earning money that way? I don't know, because if everybody did it, then no. (laughs) I saw on your Wikipedia that you, uh, or somewhere, you played a lot of poker after you sold your business? Yeah. Is that how you lost the money? No, no, no. If anything, I should have kept playing poker. (laughs) My life would have been so much better if I just stuck to poker. Would you recommend that as a career path? Um, no, because it's like anything, like a career like that gets saturated. So there's millions of people playing online poker now and and you have to compete against them. And it's really hard. Like poker now compared to what I played 18 years ago, a lot. So poker now compared to 18 years ago is a much different game. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Now I sense that, um, relationships and love really fire you up. Yeah. 
I mean, it fires anybody up. Yeah. I mean, some people aren't, they have different senses of, they just, they don't need to be loved. They just want like a trophy wife, perhaps. But you you seem to crave real connection. Yeah. Definitely. What would you say, like, you've had a lot of money, you've lost a lot of money, you're involved in so many different things. You're really kind of a renaissance man. What fires you up? Like, what keeps you going during the day? Uh, I really, I really enjoy writing. I mean, I, I write every single day. And how do you know what to write about? I never know. It's always a painful thing. I wake up every morning thinking, oh, what am I going to write about today? I'm very critical of my writing. Uh, you know, think about stand-up. Like, every day you probably try to write something funny to take to your next stand-up. And it's just, it's a scary, stressful thing. You don't always... Don't always you aren't always happy with what you're good at or what or with what your mission in life is. Happiness and your 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 you know what you do, what your craft is, could be two completely different things. Right, and sometimes putting that pressure on yourself to create can cause a blockage. Yeah, it's like I always say: the muse flies around, and she needs a lot of space, like sometimes boredom or an empty mind fuels that mules muse yeah but also so this is going to be counter counteract it putting yourself in the way of the muse is good as well so sitting down to actually write yeah you have to do that because there's no such thing as inspiration right you're not going to just sit down and write um uh a uh, hundred jokes if you haven't done it in a year you know, you take somebody like Anthony Jeselnik, how did he get his, you know, let's call it the 10,000, his 10,000 hours. He was a joke writer for Jimmy Fallon, right? And so the guy had to write like 100 jokes a night. And that's how he got better at, at joke writing. Exercising that part of your brain. Yeah. Doing that quadratic formula. Exactly. <laughs> Playing but that, that poker. But that's a quadratic formula that actually works for him in real life. Right. Where poker is a more practical use. Poker has uh, uh, ancillary benefits in which you will get really good at calculating statistics in your head on the fly. And that has a lot of benefits. And you'll get good at reading, you know, uh, facial expressions and stuff from poker. Like you you, you can't help but get good at at some basic skills. Right. That's true. true. Do you have any goals? No, I don't. I I drive people crazy by saying this, but I I don't care if I die tomorrow. Is she, is she still in the room? Yeah, she, I drive I drive her crazy when I say it. She's like, how could you say that? She's trying but, to build a relationship with you. Right, but I and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw myself in front of a car because I think that will hurt. I don't let him do it. And I'm not depressed or anything. It's just I don't give a shit. What if you get into a fight and she wants to throw you in front of a car? I'll be like, ah, you won't care. Well, I think a car will hurt, so I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> like, I, like when I picture myself getting hit by a car, I think the chances are it'll hurt really bad and I won't die. And that seems like a super drag. Like I, have, like I said, I haven't been to the doctor since I was 18. I don't want to have to go to the doctor. <laughs> but, all right, so you need a, you need a reason to live. Everyone Why? needs a reason. Why? Yeah. Why? Because what's going to keep you to put food in your mouth for the next meal? What's going to keep you to drive you to get out of bed? Well, your body certainly needs food, so you'll get hungry, right? So is, is hunger a reason to live? Well, food's pretty good, but I guess a reason to get out of bed. Well, for, to satisfy hunger, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you have, yeah, you, you, a lot of, there's lots of reasons to get out of bed other than having like a goal in life. Do you feel like maybe you're not goal oriented right now? And this is might maybe just a temporary thing. You might, you know, next week become goal oriented. But do you think you're not goal oriented right now because you've accomplished so much? No, because I mean, look, there's a lot of people who want to accomplish much more than I have. I haven't accomplished all that much. I haven't created a spaceship to Mars or anything. Or I haven't created a billion-dollar company. I haven't written a, a, a best-selling novel. 
there's all these. I I haven't done stand up comedy at Radio City Music Hall. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind doing that. That's that's on my bucket list. Okay, uh, so you have a bucket list. Well, um, if I did have a if I did have like a list of twenty five things I would want to do, certainly I enjoy stand up. I would want to do that, but it's not a reason for getting out of bed for me. I have I have no reason for getting out of bed other than like satisfying hunger and and other things. <laughs> so you could basically order delivery, get it delivered to your Airbnb, just open the door and go right back to bed with your food. Yeah, maybe I'd want to watch the Jim Gaffigan show. I enjoy that. Yeah. But don't you think this would just lead to depression? Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. I don't know. Would it? I think, I, yeah, I think it would because it's not giving you any promise for tomorrow. Okay, so so I'll go along with that. So I think I think um, you know I enjoy. I know for myself, I enjoy getting better at writing. I'm never good enough at at, at the things I want to be good at. So I want to get better to be a better writer. So that's a goal. I don't know if it's a goal. It's a theme because mm -hmm. I don't. I don't. I can't quantify it. What does it mean to be a better writer? I just want to be. I just want to be better at it. I want to learn more about it. Um, I want to try more things to get better at it. Uh, so I'll call it a theme instead of a goal because I think a goal is more quantified. I want to run, the, you know, a four-minute mile. That's a goal. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to run that, but I'm saying that would. That's how a goal is worded. It's more quantified. So, so uh, I want to be a higher quality writer. Um, I think I want. I like having as much control in my life as possible. Like I don't want other people to control my life, and. I, I like to be around people I like as opposed to people I don't like. So I think those three things give me reasons to get out of bed. Do you have any, do you have like a, a boss or any deadlines right now? Yeah. I mean, I put out a podcast every week. Mm -hmm. I try to write every day. I'm working on a book that I, I artificially given myself a deadline for. Yeah. Artificially giving yourself a deadline. Does that make you want to break it? Cause doing this podcast, sometimes I'm like, I don't have to put it out. Maybe I won't put it out this week. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my guess is you do put it out every week. Like you say, so, you know, this is how you get to be good at what you do. So, you is, know. is that why you keep putting it out every week? Yeah, you get good at it. And you want to get good at it. I want to be a good interviewer. And I think the curiosity from the podcast make me a better writer. Do you have a bad connotation with the word goals? No, I just don't think it's I don't I don't think it's true that a goal will make me happy. So I instead prefer to think of it as here are things I want to be better at. But but there's no it once I quantify it, what happens if I exceed that? Do I, do my goals change or am I unhappy until my goal is achieved? Like I feel good today if I make an incremental improvement at writing. And I and honestly, I feel worse today if if I feel like I get worse at writing. Um, so I guess my goal is to get better every day, uh, but I think that's a hard thing to quantify. Right. So it's more about process than the end game of a goal. Right. I, I like the qu quote uh, that Austin Kleon came up with uh, in his book "Show Your Work," uh, called uh, which is "Process is Art." Process is art. So you're focused on process. Yeah. What about, you said you wanted to do stand-up comedy. What about coming to an open mic and doing that? Uh, I did do that. I went to the, um, the Bell House in Brooklyn. Whoa, and, that's and, a big start for an open mic. Yeah, well I, well, I tweeted that I'd be there, being a friend of mine. Um, and like, I don't know, two or 300 people showed up. And we did stand-up comedy. It was fun. And any desire to do it again? Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't. My problem is this is an. This is going to sound like excuse. I don't really stay up late, but I would definitely like to do it again. 
Well, I, I was a musician for years before doing stand-up comedy, and it's nice because stand-up is earlier. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I, I, I went to a show a couple of weeks ago, actually, or, or about a month and a half ago, um, and saw a couple of good comedians, but one of my favorite comedians I saw was Gary Goldman, who's been on my podcast. Yeah, I heard that episode. is really good. Thanks. See, I guess... I can understand where you're coming from with the goals. I mean, when I was a musician, I had a goal of, you know, selling out Madison Square Garden, and I didn't achieve that goal, but I did achieve a lot of my other shorter milestones, you know, touring many countries and this country several times. And then I was like, okay, I experienced that onto the next thing. Do, do you ever feel like that with things that you've experienced? You're like, all right, I experienced that. Now, what else? Curious about another career. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, writing doesn't really make money, for instance, but it builds up. Let's say it builds up some kind of, uh, like Cal Newport would call this uh, career capital. So writing made me better at, you know, making presentations when I was in the corporate world, it made me better at sales and design when I was making websites for a living. It made me, uh, it makes me a better communicator all around. It builds an audience for me. It's, uh, uh, it, it attracts companies to me to, to allow me to have opportunities to invest so so writing uh just like music for you builds up some kind of capital that you can use in other areas of life yeah exactly and i think a lot of people don't realize that what they're doing right now it might not be useful in 10 years but the skills that they're learning like poker or quadratic formula they're learning certain skills to bring to the next thing like the music industry is really tough, getting tougher. So the hard work that I have to do with that has really paid off in other areas of my life. Yeah. Yeah, like where? Uh, well, doing. I have a couple apps out, and I promote uh, app. Well, I have a company, and we promote. I do the promotion, and the, I'm the ideas person. And it is a lot easier than promoting music because it's a growing industry rather than a shrinking one. Yeah, so um, I, I think I think in general, when you get good at something, um, it it has its you know it has its outgrowth in other areas of your life. Like you meet people that way, you meet people with similar interests. Um, you know, you build skills. Yeah, have you ever been surprised at a skill you had that you got from somewhere totally different? Um. Like, mean, well, like obviously doing the podcast has made you re have realizations about yourself. Yeah. Um, I think in general that just happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Does doing the podcast help your writing? Uh, definitely. Because I'll write about the people I podcasted with. Like if I'm talking to someone like Coolio, I'm definitely going to write about that. So uh, it always gives me fuel to write. That makes sense. You know, or, or getting good at poker gave me uh, skills to get good at other games. Also gave me skills to get good at reading people in negotiations. How many... No, the average... I've read somewhere the average American changes careers five times. Yeah. How many times have you... I mean, I don't, you do so many different things. So what would you even call your career? Um, I don't know what I would call my career right now, but I've probably changed career. Like, let's say made money from different types of professions. I've probably changed careers over a dozen times, like completely changed careers. I mean, I was a computer programmer was my first job. Then I made a TV show or, or failed to make a TV show. Then I was a website designer and then I started a company making website design. So I was a CEO. Then I was an entrepreneur, I started a software company. Then I was a venture capitalist. Then I was a hedge fund manager. Then I was a writer. Then I built up a, a very popular website. So I don't know what you call that. I was a community organizer on a website. Uh, then, I don't know, I just kept going and going. And did you see these things coming or did you were just going with the flow and you just flowed into these things? just float into these things. Every, everything, you know, you build up, you know, it's like you build up capital in an account. 
and then you walk down the street with lots of windows and you pass some windows and you see things you might want to buy and other things you don't, but you don't know in advance what you're going to see that you might want to buy. Right. And there's something to going with the flow of something, not fighting an energy that's happening. Right. Like it's everything should be, this I learned early on. This is, I was going to write about this also. Everything should be easy. So like, for instance, a lot of people have an idea to start a company and they want to raise money and they have a very hard time. Well, that might suggest that either the idea is not good or, or they're going about it the wrong way or something's wrong. Uh, so when, when something is right, when things are clicking, things should be easy. So you want to build up enough kind of work, hard work and capital so that things are easy, you know, in the different areas of your life. Like for instance, it's probably for you right now, HBO is not going to call you and say, we'll give you an hour long comedy special to do. Um, but if you toured all over the country for years and built up a name and wrote a New York Times bestselling book and, you know, your podcast went through the roof and, and all these things, HBO, and you started submitting scripts, maybe you were, or you started writing jokes for Jimmy Fallon, maybe HBO would call you at the end of that and say, ah, oh, yeah, we'd love to have you do a special. But if all you were trying to do was get that HBO special, it'd be really hard for you right now. You want to get it when it's easy. And so you want to build up the mountain of work it would take so that it becomes easy for you to do right that makes sense they say um well it's that's my favorite thing about improv is the yes and thing yes and it's funny because your book the power of no right next to the improv book yes and the power <laughs> of no <laughs> that's funny uh I, I have that book yes and as well uh -huh. and, you know, there's different times when you say yes and there's different times when you say no Right, I feel like that is such a good life skill because you can say no while saying yes and. Yeah, that's true. Because look, when you say yes and, the and could have a no in it. Right. You'd be like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. But then you take it a different direction and you really just said no, even though you didn't, you kept the flow of it. Yeah, like you could, you could be saying, um, you know, even in like improv, um, uh, you know, so, someone could start off, you know, uh, let's get the hell out of here. Uh, and you could say, yes, and Sulu, warp factor five. And, <laughs> you know, suddenly you're in a Star Trek improv. And that wasn't necessarily, you're saying, you're saying no to whatever the first person had in mind, but, but it totally went along. Right. So what you've pretty much done, it seems, is you've just said yes and to anything that was... Maybe it, maybe it was just a feeling or a motivation to write or to do and invest any of these things that you're that you've done and are currently doing. That, that's right. So you just try to you try to go with the ease of things. Yeah, I I try to um, go with the force, you know, a lot of Star Wars. <laughs> yes, you're using the force. Yes, and isn't it such a fine balance of using the force and going with it, but also pushing yourself like like you do with your writing. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I really don't know if I've done things the right way in my life. I just like to write every day. I mean, I could work on, I could work and try to make a gazillion dollars and move to Silicon Valley or something, but I just don't do that. So it, it doesn't interest you. No, but writing interests you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely would have been better off in my life if I didn't, if I didn't do things like writing and podcasting. <laughs> right. How do you find new interests? Um, I don't know. I mean, um, I read a lot of books. So you, you know, when you read a book, it's such a great thing because you get to absorb. So like, let's say someone writes an autobiography. They just gave you their entire life, the, the meaning of their entire life in like 300 pages that you could read in like a couple of days they just gave that to you. So I could absorb an entire other life simply by reading. And, uh, and then I can just pick and choose what interests me in all these hundreds of lives that, that I've absorbed. And most people don't read. So that gives the reader has a huge advantage over the non-reader. Right. So that's where the curiosity is paying off. Yeah, like I might read about, I might read five books about the Rolling Stones. And so suddenly now, 
I might want to become a musician or, or become a music critic or have a, a podcast or a blog about music or the Rolling Stones or, or charisma for that matter, or the genealogy of music, like all these things might interest me. And then, and that, you know, or, or the nature of creativity, um, you know, or, you know, how, how did the, how one culture's music evolves into another culture's music and all these things can, you can become curious about and interested in and write about, which might lead to, to anything. Are you ever worried that your curiosity is going to wane? Yeah, every day. And, but it doesn't. So far, so good. I'm knocking on, knocking on wood, knocking on, knocking on Ikea. I think uh, we've hit on a bunch of uh, really great themes, curiosity, gratitude, and lower expectations. Well, you said it yourself with like, you were interested in Brian Grazer's book, uh, A Curious Mind. Like, that's a great, that's a great book. And I got, I had to, I got to interview Brian Grazer for my mm-hmm. podcast because I thought that was such a great book. Great book. And I feel like, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people aren't curious. Maybe they're just, you know, curious about their own minds, but not curious about others enough. Or, or they haven't practiced being curious. Like, I think it takes practice also. Like, you know, you have to learn to, you know, keep drilling on the things that confuse you. I'll give you an example. Let's say I talk to someone and they say, oh, I'm divorced. And I'm like, Why, how do you get divorced? Is it, is it all good? And, he, and they'll say, oh, yeah, it was amicable. Well, that to me is bullshit. Like, it's never amicable. So I want <laughs> So I'm curious. So I want to know. So then you can decide whether to ask the question or not. But there's all these things that that people usually aren't curious about that you could practice being curious about. Almost like a fake it till you make it kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, people should be legitimately curious. So they don't make the same mistakes in their own lives. But yeah, I guess a little bit that. Yeah. Like, I... mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I guess with doing this podcast, I keep asking questions and then eventually it gets to something where it's peaked and it leads to all kinds of places. Yeah. You ever feel like that when you're doing your podcast, interviewing people that you're not getting anything juicy and you have to keep searching around? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, look, that's usually the sign of a bad podcast. I hope this wasn't a bad podcast. (laughs) Not at all. uh, uh, Often you have like the more someone's on message, like they wrote their book, so they're going to stick to the message of their book. The harder it is to get them to talk about other things. Right, and it also teaches you to be loose and go with wherever you feel like going. Yeah, yeah. Like I love to talk about relationships. I could talk about relationships forever, but your girlfriend's there. So, <laughs> she, Hi. She, uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. She probably, she probably wants to know. It's too young. <laughs> Let's do this again when you guys are uh, seven months in at least. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> thanks so much for uh, talking to me. Okay, Gary. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for asking. I'm glad we were able to do this kind of impromptu, like on the fly. Yeah, we went with the flow, didn't we? And I, I had low expectations, so it's great. For me, yeah. that is. And it, and it made you happier, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Gary. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you soon. James, take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.